Welcome to Real Assets, Real Expertise, a podcast brought to you by Crestbridge. It's the place where we explore the world of real estate. Introducing your host, Stephanie Workman. You're listening to Real Assets, Real Expertise. Welcome to the latest episode of Real Assets, Real Expertise by Crestbridge. The latest episode is an International Women's Day special, focusing on this year's theme, which is embracing equity. I'd like to welcome back Sophie from Virtus, who joined us in the 2022 International Women's Day special in her capacity as a member of the Real Estate Balance Next Gen Committee. Now, when brainstorming for the episode, Sophie quite rightly pointed out that a number of efforts for International Women's Day in the past have solely sought input from women. Now, it's really important to acknowledge that in order to drive meaningful change in terms of gender equity, diversity and inclusion, we need involvement and support from our male counterparts. As such, Sophie made the excellent suggestion of including two male members of Real Estate Balance to get their experiences and perspectives on the subject matter. So I'm delighted to say that the two brave males represent massive names in the real estate industry today, and both of their organisations are active members of Real Estate Balance. So I'd like to welcome Kevin Boacci from Hines and Paris Malde from Brookfield Properties. Kevin has over 10 years experience working within the property and real estate sector in both recruitment and diversity, equity and inclusion capacities. Kevin is currently a talent acquisition and DEI specialist at Hines, a global real estate investment development and management firm, as well as being a member of the Next Gen Committee of Real Estate Balance. Paris is General Counsel at Brookfield Properties UK and a Real Estate Balance Next Gen Committee member. Paris has also driven Brookfield Properties membership of Real Estate Balance and is involved with senior management policy at Brookfield Properties on DEI. This year's International Women's Day theme is embracing equity. How would you define equity in the context of DEI? Um, I yeah, I'll start with a confession. I guess um, DEI. I thought the E in DEI stood for equality, i.e., where each individual is given the same resources or opportunity. I then realised about a year ago and this podcast prompted me to double check the meaning on the international women's day website Um, so equity in truth being um recognizing each individual has different circumstances which may help or hinder them in different environments and then allocating the exact resources needed to reach an equal outcome um i guess not everyone is given the same thing in life so it's important process which is clearly outlined on the website for having equity to help address the imbalance in our social systems whether it be um, in our day-to-day jobs that we see or or in a wider um, field Um, so I guess another way I could explain in more detail would be to draw out an example scene of bicycles I don't know if you've seen that yes it's a good Um, one yeah, where everyone is given the same size, that would be equality versus equity, where the child will be given a bike with stabilizers. A woman who maybe is five foot six is given a smaller frame versus a man who's given a larger frame who's six foot. Um, yeah. I guess another more practical example in DEI, as we know it in our industry, would, well, not in our industry, but I guess in our world, um, equality being women given the right to vote, but equity being basing solutions on gender imbalance to consider that women are given the right to vote, but they also need a global culture that 
promotes them to exercise that right to vote so mm. supporting them in other aspects of life which I'm sure we'll discuss more in the podcast but about parental leave um, and other policies that companies can do to help address that imbalance in our social systems. So people who push for equity-based solutions to social issues might believe in impartiality um, and that there should be no difference in services and policies. However, equity-based solutions take into account the diverse lived experiences of individuals and communities, adapting their services and policies according to those differences. So, for example, in that bicycle scenario that you've given there, that, that's a good example of that. Um, equity is a long-term and sustainable solution as well, and it's a process for addressing those imbalances in social systems. Um, and you've, devi- you've defined it earlier really well, and it, it can also be defined as giving everyone what they need to succeed. And uh, it's not giving everyone the exact same thing. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, as you said, if we give everyone the exact same thing, expecting that will make people equal, it assumes that everyone started out in the same place in the first place, um, which is often not the case. Um, so, yeah, just kind of like, it's the concept that we're not on a level pe- playing field in life, you know, according to what part, part of the world we're from and where how we were brought up and ex- various societal constructs. Um, the concept of fairness as well can get quite tricky because it's assumed that being fair means that everyone gets the same thing. Often uh, this has been taught when we were growing up and um, mm-hmm. but the reality is fairness only really works when we're all in the same to start out with. Paris, what role can men play to help facilitate gender equity on a day-to-day basis? So I guess first and foremost, uh, it's important to recognize that men men don't have the answers. And so actually the first thing they need to be is good listeners. So in order to answer this question, I think men need to be proactive about talking to uh, their female colleagues at work and asking them what they think men should be doing uh, to become better allies. So number one is good listeners. Um, number two, I think, is um, being conscious about asking questions that may be different from those that we might ask our male colleagues. So recognizing that um, certain things that you may want to say are may not be may not be received in in a way that you think they should be received so just being alive to the sensitivities around that i think the third thing which uh, which i'm about to say and this i think is very important is i think um being an advocate for women uh, in the workplace so and this i think is particularly important for men who are in senior positions um and this can take all forms i think uh again the first thing, it comes back to the first point, which is actually canvassing opinion from the women that you're working with and trying to work out what it is they would like you to advocate for them. Um, but it may be in the in the context of um, uh, uh, facilitating some kind of mentoring or uh, a role that you play in recruitment or participation in board meetings. It can be anything. And every, every organization will have its own uh, way of, of achieving this. Um, I think also um, cultivating that working relationship with your female colleagues and I think cultivating a trusting relationship so that they can encourage the women to achieve their full potential. I think that's very important. Um, 
Networking is another thing. It's very easy to fill our networks with people we directly identify with. But when the majority of leaders are men, that sort of compounds the problem. So thinking about the types of networking events that one is organising, are they inclusive? Are they actually inherently discouraging your female colleagues from attending? Um, so the default position in the real estate industry is to always go to the pub for drinks. Actually, is that is that does that work? You, one needs to ask, you know, does it work for for people? Uh, can 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 your female colleagues attend? Can they not attend? Do they have to go back home? Because inevitably, caring responsibilities will fall to women. And and it's surprising that I'm having to say that in 2023. It sounds very Victorian, but I don't think we've moved tremendously from that era in this regard mm. so again being alive to that and it's not just also in regards to women but going to the pub may not necessarily be everyone's thing some people mm. may not drink for a variety of reasons and so are you automatically excluding them being conscious about these things i think will help um i mentioned recruitment earlier on but i think uh, to elaborate on that is i think men should be holding themselves to the standard of hiring the best person for the job having interviewed a diverse slate of candidates. Um, and also, I think it's very important to be conscious about the fact that um, hiring someone different from you doesn't mean it's a wrong decision. Mm. And it's it's about challenging that unconscious bias that, that's there in, in all of us. And then lastly, I would say being conscious about sharing and reallocating the non-promotable workload. So to give you an example, more often than not, for women, the non-promotable tasks could include scheduling meetings, taking meeting notes or, or administrative level functions. And that typically tends to fall to, to women. And again, it's, 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 a, it's a shame that we're still having to say this in, in 2023. But I think men can help by taking that workload off. Or if they're in a senior position, then being conscious about it and doing things to reallocate so that mm. the person in question is given an opportunity to fulfill in other areas that she may not be able to do because she was burdened with all of these other tasks. But I guess to um, <clears throat> to add to that, I guess the, the two words that kind of come to mind is Paris is speaking are intentional and purpose-driven. And I think everything that Paris has referred to, I think men need to be intentional about the steps we're taking to provide equity for them in the workplace and be purposeful as well with it. I think if there is no purpose behind it, it comes across. And I think that's, it's realized both by the business internally and by the marketplace externally as well. When it's not purpose driven, it's just kind of being done to tick a box. I think the intentional nature of it is actually to say, we're doing this because we want to, you know, achieve equity. We want to achieve equity. So we're being intentional about it. We're not, we're not hiding, we're not hiding around what we're doing. We're being very open, you know, leadership are talking about it. Staff members are talking about it. You know, I've, I've sat in various CEO breakfasts over the last few months with Real Estate Balance and leadership have spoken about actually bringing the matter of gender equity to board meetings and to um, AGMs and so on and so forth. So I think that intentional nature will make it then very obvious that this is very much at the top of the agenda for the entire business and for, and for staff. And I think that's, that's um, yeah, that's, that's a huge role that men can play is, you know, like Paris said, men typically make up, you know, senior leadership in most businesses. So if they can bring that to the fore, for every discussion that's going to take you know it's going to go a long way to actually helping us um solve this quote-unquote problem that we mm. have mm. a couple of bits stood out for me actually the um the piece about recruitment and uh you know choosing the best people for the job and you know i've heard a lot of 
people, not even necessarily just men, say, well, I always just recruit the best person for the job. It doesn't matter to me, you know, where they're from or what gender they are. Making sure your team, your, your full team that are involved with the recruitment process have all had unconscious bias training and just not being afraid to call it out as well um, will make a massive difference, I think. Um, the other thing that you mentioned, Paris, actually, was being an advocate for women. So I thought, brilliant, advocating for women when they're not in the room, you know, which sometimes is the case. But I love that you said, actually talk to your female colleagues about how they want to be advocated for because, you know, women aren't a monolith. We're not all wanting the same thing. So, yeah, really thought provoking. Thank you. Steph, can I, can I just talk to that point, I guess? Sure. Um, in, in the fact that last statement you made, made there that women are not all the same. Yeah. And, you know, for, for the role in which I occupy at Heinz, I, I sit in a DEI role across Europe and one, one term that I constantly refer to now is intersectionality. And that's the fact that, like you said, not all women are the same. You're going to have black women, you're going to have Asian women, you're going to have women from varying backgrounds, you can have women who cross over into the LGBTQ plus community. You can have women with varying abilities, neurodiversity. And so that fact there, and I've always said this, we can't simply box women into one area and just say, you're a woman, so this is how you're going to be either be treated or you're going to be related to. And Paris's point there is, is, is perfect, is actually speak to these women individually and find out how do you as an individual want to be advocated for or for promoted internally within the business? Because every single woman will have their own challenges, which differ from woman to woman, from department to department. You know, workloads will differ. Types of work will differ. The network and, you know, the stresses will differ from place to place. So actually appreciating that every single one has the element of intersectionality where they cross, you know, various, for us, what we call employee resource groups or various, um, you know, characteristics is really, really key to actually achieving that equity. If not, we run the danger of actually simply putting everyone and saying, you know, all women need to be treated this way and stepping away because that in itself could be, um, you know, a ticking issue if, if not addressed properly. I think also going going to that is also when you when you have the people who are involved in your recruitment, the first question to ask is how many men are involved how sorry, how many women are involved in the recruitment process? If the recruitment process itself is very male driven, then no matter how good your intention is, you're going to exclude um the uh, uh, the female angle or, or what the women you know that the, there's a whole different dimension to that and i'm a big advocate for ensuring that if there's a recruitment panel at least you have you know a, a quarter of that panel is made up of women or uh, uh people from ethnic minority by way of racial background or sexual orientation or whatever in other words what i'm trying to say is having the recruitment team itself as diverse as possible will help. And again, bringing it back to the original question, how can men help? Again, if they're in the, if, if, if they are in those positions of power mm. where they have say over who gets to recruit, they can help facilitate that. Yeah, that's very true. Keeping it forefront of your, of your mind when you're looking at putting together your recruitment team. I think that also there's a risk of recruitment teams there's a, there's a, a pattern sometimes you can fall into of well this is the way we've always done it and it's it's been fine but just because it's always worked um, from your perspective doesn't necessarily mean that it's you know the best way to do it or the you know the most forward looking way to do it yeah hundred percent I think I think challenging the norm is 
a huge part of this, isn't it? It's it's making, and dare I say, when we ask you know the question about what men can do, I think men almost have to take that step of being uncomfortable for a period. Yes. In order for us to come into a new norm. Yes. Um, you know, if we look at what's happened in the last few years, last two to three years, we were all made uncomfortable by something that just sprung upon us, but we've now kind of, I guess, developed into a new norm and very much in the same way, if we're going to have a shake-up in our industry, it's going to take those who seemingly have the power and seemingly are in control to take the step out and be uncomfortable for a season of, you know, for a season of time in order for us to reach that level of, you know, this is actually what things look like moving forward. You know, so having those diverse panels and actually looking at having diverse candidates shortlists as well. You know, how diverse are our shortlists? Until we have a diverse shortlist, are we going to move ahead to interview? I think these are all key steps that we can take, you know, practically on a day-to-day basis to actually ensure that, we're, you know, we're ticking this box of achieving equity. Because for me, and I think and as we've spoken to before, it's, it's really about giving people the necessary resources to come to a particular outcome. And, and that's going to differ from person to person, even when we look at women, as you said before, everyone's going to need something different. So it's going to take the men really stepping up and saying, you know, I'm happy to go and talk to, I'm happy to take a step back for this period of time in order to ensure that actually we can all achieve this goal together as one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of acknowledging that, yes, the system has historically maybe worked for me, uh, but also acknowledging that disruption does breed innovation and does move things yeah. forward. So don't be afraid of it. Embrace that that disruption um, because hopefully we'll see meaningful change as a result. So can you think of any examples of, of these sorts of things in action and what what behaviours, what does good look like? What does allyship look like? I guess the main role I see men playing is just being the ally. Um, and that can look and sound in different ways. Um, I think one example would be, and it's not just in scenarios where it's about gender and women, I think it can extend into other um, other spheres such as race. Um, it's just being able to, if you see a repeat of inappropriate behaviour, call it out um, and just not normalising scenarios that feel wrong. Um, and yeah, being that ally in the workplace, but also outside of the workplace. Yeah, no, I think, um, so from, my, from my perspective, I think it's 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 small and meaningful things. I think everyday actions don't need to be huge or be dramatic, but I think, you know, for example, stepping back at times and, you know, stepping back means not necessarily not doing your role, but actually giving opportunity for someone to step forward. And, and in other ways, I've put it as, you know, kind of stepping aside so that others can step in. And, and I've often said that when we look at equity, when we look at, you know, improving diversity, we're not really talking about, lowering our standards but it's actually kind of widening the gate and widening the gate means actually we're giving more opportunity for other people to come through and deliver on what we're doing so when we say you know we want to hire more women into our businesses or give women a more prominent role female staff a more prominent role we're not talking about lowering our standard or you know reducing the offering we offer out to, to our clients and to our you know customers depending on where you sit in the industry it's actually a case of widening that gate and actually stepping out of the way for for, for a period of time or just stepping out of the way in order to actually receive a different opinion and different angle and how things can be done. I think that's kind of way number one. I think another way really for me is is modeling empathy. And, and then it's, you know, I think Paris has spoken to it previously, but it's really showing you understand. It's listening. It's and it's listening and, and giving feedback as you listen and showing that you're actually engaged in what's being said. Because it's very easy to you know listen and, and not really engage in what in what's being said and just simply kind of nod your head and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's actually listening, acting upon what you've heard and engaging and, and asking a follow-up question, you know, what can be done or how, what can I do to help? What can the business do to help? So I think it's 
that modeling of empathy for me is is a really practical action. And I guess last but not least is again one of the more practical ways is attend discussions. You know, it's when employee resource groups are holding sessions. You know, maybe your women's network, for example, holding a session, but attend those sessions. Show actively show that you want to be involved and you want to understand and self-educate because you know, we, we can all be honest, this is a self-education when we come to, when we talk of DEI across the industry, it's self-education every single day because something is changing, something different is coming to the fore and society is changing. So attending those sessions on a day-to-day basis um, or as and when they come up, again, for me, it's a really kind of practical way that we can start to show our allyship um, effectively in, in, in our businesses. Great. Yeah, it is. I must say, whenever I go to women's network events or gender sort of uh, diversity groups, it's always good to see the guys there. Yeah. Because, you know, we are really going to make meaningful change with your uh, with the guy's input, you know, so yeah. totally agree with you on that one. And Stephanie, in terms of, you know, I think one of the things you asked was examples of what not to mm. do. I mean, this is going to be some of this is going to be perhaps stating the obvious, but it happens. And that's why I came up with these examples. So one is I think we need to be conscious about not talking over our female colleagues in meetings. Secondly, Thinking about what, uh, how many women are on your pitching panels or how many women are in public facing roles within your organization, actively looking and answering that, looking at and answering that question will help. I'm not saying that you must by default always have a quota system where you need to have at least X number of women on certain panels, but re-examining that and seeing whether there is anybody from your organization who could be on those Mm -hmm. uh, panels or in those roles, Um, because there's a good business case, apart from the moral argument, there's a good business case for ensuring that there's diversity of viewpoint, diversity of input in decision-making, which only can uh, affect the bottom line in a positive way. And I think the other, the, the last example that came to mind of what you shouldn't do is, don't think you know how to fix the problem just because you're a man. Mm. <laughs> and again, I think men are guilty of doing that. Um, in my own personal life, I sort of go around the house thinking, I've got to, I've got to know how to fix the broken drawer <laughs> or the broken tap or whatever. Actually, I don't know. And I think sometimes owning up to the fact that I don't know how to fix the problem, that's the first step in the right direction. Yeah, very, very good points there. I mean, Kevin and Sophie, have you seen the examples of what not to do? Have you got anything to add there? Yeah, no, definitely. I think I can definitely resonate with um, with Paris's last point there around going around the house and thinking you know what to do when you, you clearly don't. Um, and asking for that empathy and asking for that help, I think it's it's you know it's a very practical way. I think you know the points around <clears throat> speaking over staff or just taking taking on jobs and not even asking for help are, are all things of what not to do. I think we need to take initiative to actually kind of ask for input all the time and and make opportunities. Or even when you've been delegated something which you think has just been delegated to maybe a team of men, actually go out of your way to say, actually, I think this person should be on it. Or, you know, I've had many examples previously where, and this is not, you know, particularly to, you know, to any any one of the companies I work for, but maybe you're giving a task. I mean, you look at the group of people embarking on it, you realize actually we're we're all, you know, the same, if that makes sense. And, And so you then take an active step yourself to say, maybe, this person should be involved or, you know, this female colleague could be involved. So I guess that's not maybe an intentional thing that's being done, but sometimes like Paris said in the subconscious, you simply go ahead and say, you know, these five men should go off, go off and do this, this task. I think it's for us then to say, actually, how do we pull in this colleague or that colleague in order to make sure we've got a balanced team as well? Mm, Definitely. I think 
there's value. In fact, I brainstormed a couple of ideas before jumping on this call, just speaking to a colleague who also sits on a gender balance network. Um, and I think a key point to remember is getting feedback from your employees is, is quite important when thinking about equity because people ultimately in your company are your best asset. So something that we've looked at at Canary Wolf Group is um, encouraging our active ED&I groups to support policies. I think this could be or should be a bit more normalised within companies. So for an example, we had um, our gender balance network reviewed the parental policies at Canary Wolf Group to get that impact from the people on the ground who have either had to use the policies themselves and recognise that there are gaps that could be tweaked to make it more you know, appropriate for women or men equally as well. Um, so I think encouraging active EDI mm. groups within companies um, is, is a good thing to, to try and push for. And that's a great example of what Kevin was saying earlier about active listening. You know, don't ask the questions and then have the answers almost premeditated in your mind. You know, actually listen and engage. It's so important to actually um, drive that change. Everyone could be open to being educated if you've already got a block in your head that you think that you've got the right answer. That's not going to be any progress for, for anyone. Very true. So granted, you've given some good examples of how employers can facilitate and support equity. Have you got any other examples that you can provide? Um, you know, obviously noting that the imbalance is kind of baked into a lot of the societal norms and infrastructure. It's not necessarily going to be an overnight fix. Um, no, definitely. Um, I think first and foremost is, you know, there's a need for training. There's a need for education. I think there's a need for everyone accepting that um, on a day-to-day -day basis and understand, making our employees understand. I think the value of this can't be undermined by any employer. And I think it's really bringing that to the fore, making us understand that this is something we strongly stand by and something we strongly want to do. Um, in, in my opinion, there, there are a number of things and I can, you know, I can only use Heinz as an example. Um, you know, for example, we take an adoption leave for all employees at 26, oh, wow. leaves, um, 26 weeks initially and then additional adoption leave of, of, 26, of 26 weeks on top as well. So we now have a year for adoption leave and, that, and that's open to both male and female employees. So I think when we talk about equity and, you know, I know we've referred to it earlier on in, in the um, in the conversation around just not saying actually if it's you know if it's adoption or if it's parental leave it purely needs to be the female understanding that both members you know both male and female can take those opportunities is really really key. Another thing we've done is around shared parental leave. Um, again, that's encouraged, um, and again that's encouraged for adoption or for you know newborn uh, families who have newborn children as well. So. These are kind of the parental leave examples. Um, and I know we've spoken about, you know, social norms changing and often time, fortunately, well, I guess, unfortunately, many males haven't taken their, their you know, their paternity leave even to the full. I, I can give myself an example. When I had my first child, I had two weeks available. And after about two or three days, I was starting to ask myself, you know, what's, what am I doing? You know, I didn't feel like I was of much use and I can really add anything, but kind of looking back, that probably been, ingrained out as a result of society, but actually realizing that, you know, even your, your ability to care and help your partner is, is essential. Um, these are some of the more practical things I feel, I feel like prior to people step into this part of their lives, if these conversations can be had in the workplace and encouraged and actually made not to feel like you're, you're, you know, you're committing cardinal sin by taking three weeks off or four weeks off. And in some cases, you know, some firms, you know, even within real estate sector now get up to 12 weeks for, for paternity leave. Being made to feel actually this is a norm and you are there, you are able to help and, and assist 
is really, really key. And, you know, at Hind, we have our caregivers, ERG, which is dedicated to parents or to adult carers or to pet owners. And, and, and we give the opportunity for people to kind of have those discussions prior to taking parental leave, during parental leave and post-parental leave, because these are all, you know, these factors really do impact upon your day-to-day um, working life. So having those conversations around them is, is really, really key. Linking it back to what Stephanie said earlier, that the these kinds of actions that Kevin has just uh, exemplified will help an organisation on its own do its best that it can. The, the harsh reality is that there are there's a societal infrastructure around us which is which is working against women. We are the second most expensive country in the Western world in terms of childcare. Now that statistic cannot be solved by one organization on its own. Yet that statistic impacts women greater than it impacts men. So the examples that Kevin has cited are, are really good for to, to highlight to any any one given organization to see, well, actually look, the macroeconomic picture, I can't solve that for you, but what I can do is help you and make it easier for you to navigate against the winds that are going in, in, against you. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I think off the back of what Paris has mentioned there, I think when you look at the fact that we are the second most expensive you know, country for childcare, and you look at the gender equality pay gaps that we have, we then start to have a situation whereby when, you know, when you do have a child who you need, you know, you have need to give care to a child, a pet, whatever it is, you, you're then put in a very difficult place as to who, who takes the hit. And oftentimes, like Paris said, because societal norms, it's often been our female, you know, female counterparts when it comes to the working place. So for me, it's really key that leadership, um, I cannot stress enough that leadership really make or take, you know, put a, take a stance on this wherever they find themselves. But as I said before, at AGMs, any chance there is to address the company at wide or to, or, to, or to address fellow leadership is actually make this a key thing and to show to the rest of the business that this is something we're actively doing. We're, you know, we're publicly declaring it. And, you know, for, for real estate balance as part of our CEO commitments are none of our CEOs, you know, our 100 plus companies, none of those 100 plus CEOs will sit on any panel, which isn't diverse. And I think by making that as a stance, and that's something that Heinz have committed to, by taking that stance, it's a very clear commitment. Actually, you know, we are dedicated to this and we want to show not just to our company, but to the rest of the industry and I guess to the world at large that this is something we're passionate about. And I guess finally for me, and again, something we do do at Heinz is, is focusing on career development opportunities for women and, and pipelining them for leadership development, um, leadership positions and, and actually very clearly showing by job family, where do our female staff sit? You know, it's all great to say, you know, we have 50, 50% male, female representation, but where do those 50% of women sit within your business? Do they sit predominantly in support roles? So examples, EAs, admin roles, you know, or I guess kind of without, well, lower job family positionings, or are they in your mid-management? Are they senior leadership? And so at Heinz globally and on an annual basis, we go, we go through our data and look at, you know, where are our female members of staff sitting? How are we pipelining them for leadership and what are we doing to help them get there? And you know, I'd like to say, thankfully, it's had a positive impact for us where we are able to look at, you know, these individuals are being pipelined for leadership and this is what's been done to facilitate that process. So I think for me, those are kind of some of the more practical ways, um, in addition to some discuss that we can, um, you know, we can take steps to move forward as employees. I just stress again the importance of being part of real estate balance because the examples that Kevin's mentioned and Paris has echoed as well is that's just one example one company but if you are in a network of where people are openly discussing 
um, policies that they're implementing to help change that company culture that's only beneficial for everyone else to hear and learn what's been successful or not. Um, I know a lot of policies that have been implemented at Canary Wharf Group and again just the gender balance network here reviewing those parental policies has been um, really important I think for people to realise that the company is listening to them as well um, but it opens up the conversation I think beyond just policies people are more comfortable to talk about how they're, how they're sharing that parental leave or um, even with more like personal um, issues around miscarriages and things like that where leave has also been allowed for for scenarios like that that's really important sophie where um we actually at brookfield properties we we became members of real estate balance uh, last year and i've seen that since from the point of membership till now just our membership of real estate balance and the things that you have to do as part of the membership so the ceo commitments that kevin mentioned all of those have really helped us within brookfield properties to look at the policies that we had to formulate new policies or develop what we had to make it work for not just women in our teams but people from all all backgrounds ethnic minority backgrounds social mobility all all of those angles it helped us to work out what do we need to focus on what are we doing good and where is there room for improvement so it, it's helped us put the spotlight on data tracking on things that Kevin mentioned about, you know, who's in the pipeline and for what. Uh, we've also um, reviewed the um, some of our uh, parental policies. So now the shared parental leave policy has been enhanced and made just as good as the maternity leave policy. So again, there's an active step in getting encouraging men to take the shared parental leave um, so that it has a wider impact elsewhere. We've also now had an informal mentoring scheme within the team. So to give you an example, a colleague of mine who, like me, leads up his own team, uh, he realized that he had just one woman in his team. and She was at the junior level. She'd only just been recruited into the business. And he felt, well, this is, this is going to be slight. It will help her if, if she had access to senior women elsewhere in the business. So he actually facilitated an informal mentor mentorship and identified um, a, 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 a colleague of mine who's in a senior position, paired her up with this junior employee. But actually, again, it's, that's a very good example of male allyship it's being switched on to that because had he not done that, nobody else would have realized that actually this could be done and this was going to benefit the junior employee. Because it, it could be it could be daunting for her to be in, a, in an all male team, um, and sometimes having access to someone who's been there, who's probably got eight or ten years experience over you, um, and, and and identifies and resonates with the issues that you're 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 experiencing, might actually help. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the benefit of having these employee resource groups, isn't it? Really, is is the opportunity for people of varying levels to come together into one place and be able to have those conversations around. <clears throat> around how did you progress and you know, how have you gotten to where you've gotten to. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, for me, it's, it's kind of the key point around intersectionality that they're not, you know, not all women are the same. And so they're going to be differing experiences that people have. And it's really key that we appreciate that as we move forward um, and aim to solve this, this pandemic, if I can put it that way. For sure. Yeah. I think um, just to kind of add to what everyone said there, I think you can't underestimate the power of individual company behavior and individual 
people in terms of behavior, um, in terms of having a ripple effect on an industry. So just to add to what you were saying about the real estate balance and the impact of that with your organizations participating, you know, as an example, men actually taking parental leave, um, you know, few years ago, perhaps there was a bit of a stigma around actually doing that. So if you saw your boss not taking it or your senior not taking it, there was almost a pressure not to take it, but um, breaking that stigma and that cycle and um, setting the sort of the pathway forward for change and, and making the difference. And Stephanie, I think naturally this conversation has has focused more on parenthood, but it's important to recognize that not all women are parents. And they may want to work flexibly for other reasons, not just mm-hmm. because they've got childcare responsibilities. So the example that you've just cited about making sure that men who are in senior positions lead by example, I think that also applies to working flexibly. If you're in a team where you're not you're not seeing others above you using using the policies that are in place, that's not going to send the right message throughout the team. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, thanks, Paris, for mentioning that because I'm a proud dog mum and that's about the extent of my parental responsibilities. But it's still a lot, you know, it's an elderly, he's an elderly dog and I need to get home sometimes or take him to the vet and having a, you know, an employer that understands that is really nice, really nice. I think I think that's what's really key to have the allyship, isn't it, really, for people to be able to come into these groups. I mean, as I referred to, the, our caregivers, ERG, covers, you know, like like Paris said, you know, parental those who are parents, those who adopted parents, or you know, even pet owners. So I think if you haven't, if you're not part of of that ERG, to be able to have kind of exposure to people's concerns and worries and so on and so forth, I mean, never appreciate it. So I think that's why it's really keen to be part of these ERGs, whether as an as a member or as an ally, so you can actually have exposure to these things and, and like I said, self educate yourself as well. Of course. Um, and one last thing from me was you mentioned earlier, Kevin, the importance of knowing what, where you are with your data in terms of um, people at certain levels. So you might be diverse at the mid-management level or the sort of actual task um, level, but do your, does your leadership team actually reflect a diverse workforce? And it go, again, it just reinforces the point and importance of collecting your data And I just wanted to use that as a shameless plug to the Real Estate Balance um, DEI data collection guide, which I'll provide a link to after the the podcast, because I just think every organization could learn something from that guide. A lot of work went into it. And, um, you know, if you can't measure it, you don't know how you can improve things. So it's back to basics, isn't it? Brilliant. So I found today's discussion pretty refreshing, actually. Getting my guest's viewpoint on these matters broadened my outlook on a subject I consider myself to be fairly familiar with. I guess all that does is reinforce the importance of having a diverse representation of people in the room when talking about matters such as this. There's always going to be something new to learn or a blind spot that you haven't thought about before. I'd like to say a huge thank you to my guests, Sophie, Kevin and Paris, and I'd also like to remind our listeners that you can find more information about Real Estate Balance at realestatebalance.org and I'd encourage you to look up the absolute wealth of resource on there, including the very valuable EDI data collection guide. Thanks for joining us and see you next time. You've been listening to Real Assets, Real Expertise, a podcast from Crestbridge, presented by Stephanie Workman. To find more episodes of our podcast, go to our website, crestbridge.com. 
or where you usually download your podcasts. For more information on how Crestbridge can provide a range of services to support your real estate structures, visit our website www.realassetsrealexpertise.com.